Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Who are to be first concerned to look after God's purpose. In Matthew 10, 39, Jesus says, If your first concern is to look after yourself, you'll never find yourself. But if you forget yourself and look to me, you'll find both yourself and me. Jesus is inviting you to step into his story. And so the question, as we go through Genesis 1 and 2 today, I want you to walk away with and ask yourself is, what's my story? What's God's story? And how does my story fit into God's story? That's the invitation uh, this morning. Because as we go through these six acts, think of it like a play. Act one, two, three, four, five, six. And act one, this is the beginning. We're calling it creation from the beginning. Now, give you a little highlight. If you have your Bible still open, I am going to reference verses one, two, and three in just a moment. Because in the creation story from Genesis 1 and 2, what we learn about is about a, a God, and this God tells us something about ourselves and something about our physical world. And so first thing we see as we read these texts this morning, um, all through chapter 1, we see God making everything that we can see and not see. But humans are set apart from the other parts of creation. And so when God made human beings, he said, not just good, but very good. That was the first time he says very good is when he looks at human beings, you and me. Now, here's the deal. We are special because God made us in his image. But sometimes we don't feel special. We feel misunderstood. We feel like our stories aren't known. True story. Single woman turning 30 decides, turning 30, she wants to go on a speed dating experiment. I don't know if you've ever heard of speed dating. Ever, raise your hand if you've heard of it. Okay, so you go to a room, you spend three hours, and you rotate, and this young woman spent four minutes with different guys rotating for three hours to see if she'd find someone she would like to date. Well, after three long hours, she decided she did not meet a guy she wanted to spend any more time with, but she wanted some time spending as a highlight for the night with a hamburger. So she went to a hamburger place to eat by herself, and she realized enjoying this meal profusely, she, as people were starting to look at her, she still had her name tag on that said, dater number, slow dating is what it said. Horrified, of course, because what are all the people around her probably thinking? What a loser. Oh my gosh, she's so desperate. But they didn't know her true story. She actually was a social media influencer. She actually was writing a book. She had plenty of friends, was very happy person, very successful person. But if you had to tell her story from that one snapshot, you would stereotype her, right, as a certain kind of person. And that's the same thing that happens with us. How many of you have ever had an incident, good or bad, that defined how people see you? And it's not really you, whether it's successful or maybe an embarrassing story. It's not really you, but that's how people see you. It's called a stereotype from that one story. And so what we're invited into is to get to know God's story. And as we get to know God's story, I want you to get to know your own story. Because you're going to truly know your own story, Jesus says. When you lose yourself in God's story, you're going to discover who God is and who you are. 
That's an amazing invitation for us this morning. And so what we see in Genesis 1 is the beginning of the story, the opening scene. How many of you have ever seen Star Wars? Okay, Safi aren't raising your hand, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to basically break the news to you. So Darth Vader is, you know, the dad of Leah and Luke. Sorry. Okay, so there you go. Don't need to watch it. End. Um, but the way that Star Wars started in its first, uh, the first show that they, they did, the first movie in the 70s, this epic beginning right? In this battle between the, the evil empire, Darth Vader, and then this ragtag group of fighters trying to s- fight for freedom and truth, right? Princess Leia and Luke. And in this great opening scene, dramatic music and laser beams and spaceships and fighting and, and all this wonderful travail going on. That's the kickoff of the story. Here in Genesis 1, God kicks us off with a big story. And it says this in verse 1, In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. And the earth was without form and void. The darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And from the very beginning of the story, what I want you to see is that God is there, but not just God the Father, but take a look at verse 2. And the Spirit of God. So you have God, which we'll call God the Father as we know, God the Spirit, you have two members of the Trinity, this Christian idea of the Trinity, three persons and one God. And then take a look at verse 3. And God said, let there be light. Now I'm going to reference you, keep in mind Genesis 1-1, keep it also in mind John 1-1, okay? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is Jesus John is describing. And so Jesus John says, is present at creation. Well, how do you see it? Well, in verse 3, it says, God said, God spoke, God's word. And so we see in Genesis 1, verses 1, 2, and 3, of God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son, we might know as the eternal Son of God, and His name we know now, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. God the Son, God the Spirit, God the Father, the Trinity, present at the beginning. And so God in his fullness, Father, Son, and Spirit at the very beginning, making all that we can see and not see. Now, what we can say from this is from the opening pages of Scripture, from this book called Genesis, is this incredible creation story. Now, point of our series is not to answer every one of your questions, and particularly in this very, very rich opening chapters, Genesis 1 and 2, I'm probably not going to answer all of your questions, but I'm going to point out a couple things, because our goal isn't to go into the details of the creation account today. That might be for another sermon series. Our goal is to step into God's story, because God's book begins with a story of the creation account, because the whole Bible is a story, and you are an embodied story, and we are going to see how our story fits into God's larger story. Because Act 1 is creation, and here's the question that Act 1 answers. Why are we here? It doesn't answer how many days it took for God to create. It doesn't answer dinosaurs. It doesn't answer in this section here exactly all the details of how things were created. But it does answer the question, why are we here? And so in the beginning, this one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, spoke creation into existence. And somehow this mystery of the Trinity, these three persons are perfectly one. He establishes his kingdom, this God, 
And here is the why. And then invites you into his kingdom, you, his royal subjects. This is an amazing beginning to a story. Because we need to note that Genesis 1 is not first concerned about how God made the word, all the details. The last 150 years, we've become very accustomed to answering, trying to answer all these questions about Genesis 1. How did it all come into being? How long did it take? And the one unfortunate side of all these very good and honest questions is we can kind of get lost in the details without seeing the bigger story. We can't see the forest for the trees. Now, I'll tell you quickly a story. My wife and I have uh, been married um, coming up on 20 years sometime soon. And so with that, we had this wonderful engagement. I planned an amazing engagement, 300 flowers. And we had people uh, who came. We had 50 people waiting for us to celebrate. Um, I wrote a song. I looked amazing that day. It was great, okay? <laughs> so let's say I just told you that story. And the first thing he asked was, well, how much did the flowers cost? And what did the, well, the candle scented or unscented? And I would say, well, I can answer all those details for you, but you're kind of missing the point of the larger story, right? So the thing I want you to miss in reading Genesis 1 and 2, there's a larger story. Even though you might have very good detailed questions you're wondering, there's a larger story, okay? And the larger story is not going to answer all of those questions. How much did that cost? How long? How much were the candles? What smell were they? How many days did it take for God to do this? Literal days or figurative days? But it does tell us about why. Not so much how, but why. And so let's be careful as we look for those certain details that we don't lose the why, even as we want to know the how, the how, the how. Now, another note I want to let you know. Genesis 1 shows us God's original intention for creation. In fact, Pastor Tim Keller says that Genesis 1, its intention for creation was a song. That as you do the study on this in the original Hebrew, that Hebrew scholars recognize Genesis 1 has more of a poetic quality to it. So it's not going to tell you all the exact details, but even some commentators say, what if this is a song and actually a picture of God, the Father, Son, and Spirit, not just speaking creation into existence, but singing it. We just spent an amazing time singing, and we have some great singers and great musicians, and guess what? God's the original musician. What if God wanted to show all of us about his beauty, his goodness, and his truth through a song of Genesis 1, and, he, and, and where God said, let there be light, and it was good, and the, and the verses go on, and, and let there be expanse, and it was good. Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together, and it was good, and let the earth sprout vegetables, and it was good. The song, the song, the song that culminates with the creation of humanity being the climax of the song. What if Genesis 1 was a song? Because God's a singer. And Zephaniah 3 actually says that God's a singer. And all this beauty we experience through hearing song and the beauty we experience in the world or the beauty of tasting food or the beauty of relationships, it's all part of God giving us his good gifts as a good creator emanating from Genesis 1. Maybe God is himself singing over his creation, establishing his kingdom. So these are real events, but described in a song. Isn't that an interesting way to think of it? Thirdly, I want you to see that Genesis 1 and 2, to be convinced, they don't contradict each other. Because Genesis 1 gives a perceived certain order of created events. Genesis 2 gives a perceived different order of events from Genesis 1. Now, here's the thing. You don't expect a song 
to be describing an event in the same way as like a historical accounting, right? If Genesis 1 is more of a poem, more of a song, then you're going to understand it's going to have a different way to describe the very real events that happen. Genesis 1 focuses on a transcendent God. In the Hebrew, his name is Elohim, the way it's written. He's the author and ruler of his good creation. You read Genesis 2, you actually have a different name for God, Yahweh Elohim, telling you, reader, that there's a shift in theme, a shift in focus. Yahweh Elohim, who loves humankind, is in relationship with them. So Genesis 1 does not contradict Genesis 2. Genesis 2 assumes that you read Genesis 1. Genesis 2 assumes that you are singing the song from Genesis 1. It's part of your rhythm. It's in your heart. And so Genesis 1 is focusing on a different aspect of the same story, but doing it in a different way, even using a different name for God to give you a clue that these are different kinds of readings of the same account. And so if God's story is true, as we're going to keep reading, that, that means you're made in his image with eternal significance. And that this song in Genesis 1 and the accounting, the same account written in a different way in Genesis 2, wants you to know when you wake up in the morning that you are valuable, that you have purpose, that you're not an accident. Your man is his image with eternal significance, that you're his masterpiece, and that you will find your true self, as Jesus says, when you lose yourself in God's bigger story. Because if someone really wanted to know your story, would they really know you from that one incident or the way that you look on your Facebook page? Does that really tell you all about yourself? And God wants to remind you, he's not just giving you a rule book. He's inviting you into a story because he knows that you have a story and he wants you to know him deeply and so that you can know your value and your place in this world and have all the potential, all the realities that God wants to infuse into your person. What would they need to know about you if someone really wanted to get to know you? And God's inviting you to get to know him more deeply as you even get to know yourself, knowing your own story. Let's jump to verse 27, where it says that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. Now, this story, creation story, Genesis 1 and 2, is unlike any other well-known ancient creation story. So this story was written and read and memorized within a context of other creation stories. Let's say some people will say, oh, this isn't even unique. There was other creation stories. And they're right. There were other creation stories. And Genesis 1 and 2 has some similarities to these other ancient Near East stories. For example, give you a little history lesson. The Babylonian Enuma Elish, very famous creation story, predates this story, probably. And so what we see in terms of its written form. And so what we need to understand is that, that by the Bible in Genesis 1 and 2, God's word is trying to tell you, I have a different story that God is telling us. That it's a better story. Because in the Enuma Elish and other ancient Near East stories, humanity is created simply to do slave labor for the gods. Yay! That's the other creation stories, that the gods were lazy and didn't want to work, so he created you. Yay! That's why you exist. That is exactly what people were taught. And then God revealed through his people a different story. And it says in God's story that God made humans not to meet his needs, but to share his wealth. 
That's worthy of an amen. You know what? That God didn't create you because he needed you. He created you because he wanted you. God doesn't need you to make himself feel good about himself. He doesn't have bad self-esteem, okay? He created you out of the overflow of his love. He wants to know you. He wants to see you blessed. He wants, you to, he wants to see you alive on planet Earth and with him for eternity. God creates us not because he needs us, because he wants us. Now, here's the reality. In ancient times and even develop, developing nations today, those that are kind of on the grow, trying to get out of poverty, a lot of times families bear children out of necessity to survive. They need another set of hands to plant seeds and to harvest vegetables to live. That is the reality for people. But in developed nations, particularly maybe like the United States, most children aren't born in order to help the family survive. Most in developed nations are born for a different reason, so that the parent or parents can experience meaning and purpose and love. One family for survival, the other one for meaning, purpose, and love. But what happens is that So many parents begin this journey of building a family without knowing God's bigger story that what happens is that children can get emotionally smothered by parents. Why? Because a parent is banking all of their hopes and dreams on their kids. And if their kids aren't happy, then I can't be happy. And my kids aren't successful, then I'm not successful. So you have to be successful. You better be happy is what kids are hearing. And you have depression rates that shot up in the last decade, 56% amongst young people. Depression leading to suicidal tendencies, 56%. The pressure to perform. In God's story, in the middle of that reality, where modern families put their identities in the success of their children and these unrealistic expectations that end up crushing kids and families, in the middle of it, God's saying, don't forget my story. Because God is saying, in my economy, in God's economy, children are more than something to fulfill someone's emptiness. Or children are more than just to help you survive. They're far more than that. Children are given to us by God simply because God loves them and they're beautiful and wants them to exist. And God is inviting every one of these children from beginning into adulthood and beyond to join him as his royal subjects in his kingdom to do beautiful, good things in his name. To display God's goodness is why every one of us exists, including your kids. Or if you are a kid, you might feel the pressure of expectations. Sometimes it's not your parents. Sometimes it's a grandparent. Or sometimes it's society expecting you to be all of these things. And we need to be reminded of the story, how you began, how God is looking at you and inviting you to rest in his love and his grace. Humans are invited into God's story. And the beautiful thing that we see is that it's not until humans are created that God's song in Genesis 1 reaches its climax, the big part of the song, because it's there in verse 31. If you turn there, it says, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Up until this point, the song only said things were good, things were good, things were good, and then when humans are made, God says, very good. It's what God exclaims when he looks at humanity. When I held my baby Avery, who's now a little too big at 10 to hold like this anymore, but baby Avery, after eight years of infertility, waiting, waiting, waiting for a child, we were blessed. 
And I held her in my arms, and you just marvel if you've ever been a parent and held a baby, even if it's through adoption, the, the beautiful moment of holding your own child, maybe for the first time. And I thought, she is so pretty, just like her dad. No, exactly. Thank God she doesn't look like her dad, right? Whenever you hold something that precious, you do get transported to like another reality of like, wow, this world is so amazing. I wonder if there's a God behind this amazingness. I couldn't stop talking about my beautiful baby. And I wonder if you wake up in the morning knowing that's what God thinks of you. He loves you. But even God in, in heaven right now with the angels, however it works out, he's like talking about you. Like, oh man, did you see, did you see my child, Lauren? Oh man, she's amazing. Did you see, you see my, my servant Luke over here? Oh, there's an amazing thing that's happening over there. What if God actually talks about us like we as parents like to talk about our kids in our, in our best moments, right? I wonder if God talks about it that way, and I wonder if you can have the imagination that God's word, Genesis 1 and 2, is pointing to you and saying, that is a reality you can wake up to in the morning. Then when God looked at humanity, he said, wow, very good, beautiful. It's as if God, when he looks at you, see something more beautiful than the amazing solar system that he created. And it's amazing. And, we, and maybe the zebras and the dolphins that my kids would say are the best thing ever. And God says, no, 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 they're great, but you're the best. That, that the climax of the creation narrative is not the flowers that we enjoy or the beautiful redwood trees that we see that can grow hundreds of feet tall or even the picturesque coastlines of California. My wife and I and our family just walk the beautiful coast last night, all beautiful, all beautiful. But the Bible says when God looked at people, not those things, but when he looked at people, he said, very good. That you can wake up in the morning knowing that you, because you're made in God's image, are part of the pinnacle of God's creation. That's your story. That's your real story. Because here's the hard thing for me. I find it hard to see God's beauty when I look at other people compared to nature sometimes. Does that ever happen to you? Like I get marveled at this amazing waterfall and we saw an otter last night or maybe I see a dolphin like leaping or going through the water, cutting through or this beautiful trees. Like, oh, the awe of God, the beauty. I can sense his presence. When we look at people, sometimes I'm like, oh, not so much. How about this? When I look in the mirror, when I look in the mirror, I go, not so much, God. Not seeing your glory. I know the mirror is different for you, but my mirror, I've checked it. It's clean. It's working. When I look at myself, I have to admit, I don't believe God's word sometimes. I'm made in his image. God, it, God loves me. He's pleased with me because I have found my rest in him. If I fail to believe God's word, I might even think that I can make myself more beautiful and, and more valuable if I keep working harder working out harder, or working on my resume harder, right? If I don't know I can rest in the reality of God's love being in his image, I might keep working harder to prove myself or even succumb to the reality that I can never measure up and get more depressed like the other 56% of young people, right? 56% increase the last 10 years. Get more and more depressed because I can't measure up. You know what? I need to rest in the reality of how this opens, Genesis 1 and 2. 
We are made in God's image. We can enter ourselves into his story. So that's act one, creation. God establishes his kingdom and you are his royal heirs. You're the pinnacle of the creation. And God's claim to this grand story about the world and our lives is that he wants to help you see how your story fits into his. Matthew 10, 39, Jesus again to remind you says this very thing. If your first concern is to look after yourself, you will never find yourself. If you're trying to find enlightenment or inner peace or do just more yoga, whatever it is, all good things, you will never find yourself by doing that. But then Jesus says, though, if you forget yourself and look to me, you will find both yourself and me. God doesn't want you to be lost. He wants you to find yourself in his story. And it all begins in this creative story. Act one, he creates not all the details, not all the how, but the why. Because God needs you? No, simply because he wants you. Do you know you're wanted by this God? He wants you to be in his life, in his kingdom, in his story. So in Act 1, we're looking at how God begins a story. We'll go all the way to Act 6 to see how it all ends. And until King Jesus returns, we must daily lose ourselves in God's bigger story in order to find ourselves. Luke shared this amazing story of the team in Mexico where Francisco, after a week of watching him build and sitting, said yes to wanting to know God's story and stepping into it. Amazing. Let's keep praying for Francisco. And last Sunday as well, a young woman from Singapore came and sat right here in this room and afterward, the invitation to come forward. And she said yes I want to understand this story. I want to find myself in God's bigger story. I want to know this love that you're talking about. I want to know about this forgiveness you're talking about. Amen. You get that invitation today as well, whether for the first time or maybe recommitting to say, God, I want to find myself in you. Would you pray with me? God, help us to know how the story begins. It's you in our lives you creating us, all the things we see, things we cannot see, and we as humanity, the pinnacle of your creation. Lord, we don't know all the details of how it all works, but we know the why, that you didn't need us, but you wanted us, and you want us to experience your deep love. Lord, help us, Lord, as we continue to worship you, as we consider the things, Lord, in your word, that we consider our lostness without centering our lives in your bigger story. God, help us to see it Help us to live into it. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, we just begin. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.